And we uh, want to give the Lord not just um, our, our attendance as an offering and our, our, uh, our talents as we serve and walk, down, walk the line at Ruby's Pantry, but also as we uh, uh, donate to the, financially to the ministry of the church. There's a, a box out there you can put things into, and you can go to uh, uh, cov, cov.org and find the church to give connect to. Go to Bethelcov.org, and there's a, a connection right there. So we thank you, Lord, for the, uh, these offerings. So I'm going to pray for those. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, your work in our hearts to bring an offering to you. We praise, Lord, that as we give these offerings to you of time, talents, and treasures, you'll be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. And I'd like to introduce, introduce um, Pastor Dale Osterland, who is uh, a chaplain at the Mayo System in Rochester and at uh, Salem Salem Road Church, and he's associate pastor at Salem Road Church. He's an ECC pastor, and so we uh, welcome uh, Pastor, uh, pastor Joel as he's going to give us a message and lead us in communion. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. It was 56 miles from my door, door to door, 56 miles. Beautiful drive. Up from Rochester, didn't rain too much, and love driving in the country, and coming to Wisconsin as Minnesota, thanks for the warm welcome. I know some people, they're like, well, we'll just see what this guy has, you know, see what he does. Football season's just starting, we won't go there quite yet, but uh, good to be with you this morning. I'm going to start with our scripture reading, which is Matthew 4, a couple passages um, at the end of chapter 4. Starting with verse 12, I'm going to do 12 through 17, and then 23 to the end of the chapter. It says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived with Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then jumping to verses 23 through 25. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought him, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. My wife and I are entering a new stage of life. We have two kids. Jeremiah is 20, our oldest, and Anna is 18, just turned 18, graduated from high school. And so we are entering the empty stage of life. Our kids moving out, never to return. 
My son already has decided to come back this fall. He's back. He's back. I turned to my wife and I said, he's supposed to be gone for four years. What happened? He actually got an opportunity. Both my kids, part of my life career has been in church ministry, camping ministry, now as a chaplain at Mayo. I work with our hospice team, so I'm not in the hospital. I was at one time, but I'm out driving around, visiting people in homes and care facilities. And uh, <clears throat> so in camping ministry, I was at Covenant Pines Bible Camp, Covenant Park Bible Camp, both in Minnesota. Um, and so our kids got to grow up at camp for parts of their life. And as entering into their college years, have been on staff at different camps, which I'm very excited about. My son at Camp Victory, just north of Rochester, my daughter this past year at Lake Beauty Bible Camp. She grew up going to Lake Beauty Bible Camp and was on st staff there this summer. And my son got an opportunity to work full-time. He got a job offer to work full-time at this Bible Camp. And so he's going to be a part-time student. They both are at Crown College and uh, he's going to work full-time, go online. But as a result of getting a job, he got a job, now he has to move back in. <laughs> we'll see, at least for a year, at some point, he'll, he'll move back out. So <clears throat> they're in the college stage of their life and trying to figure out, you know, what are they going to study? And that's been a moving target, as it can be. My son was going to be communications, but they don't offer that online, so he's going to do a general Christian ministry degree with a business minor. My daughter was thinking about nursing, but realized coming off of this summer, I don't know if that's for me. She wants to work with high schoolers, teenagers, maybe in the church, maybe in the community, some kind of social services, so trying to figure that out, which is, it will develop, it's fine, it will, it will happen at some point, but excited for them. So all these different topics and subjects that people can study. I studied theology, which is the study of divine things or religious truth, the study of God. That was my advanced degree. There's astrology, which is to interpret the influence of heavenly bodies on the human affairs, which is different than astronomy, the study in the science that deals with the material universe beyond the Earth's atmosphere. I don't know if some of you have seen pictures of the new telescope that's been coming back, the advanced clear um, pictures that, again, reveal <laughs> the magnificent, wonderful, living God that we have and the created universe that has been given to us to enjoy, revealing his nature. <clears throat> Another subject is cryptology, which is the teaching about cryptanalysis and cryptography which is the making of ciphers and codes. Crypt cryptanalysis is the analysis and breaking of those ciphers. So cryptology is not cryptocurrency. That's something much different. <laughs> Onomatology, the teaching in the origin and history use of proper names. Whoops. Ethnomusicology is the teaching about folk and primitive, primitive music and the relationship to the peoples and cultures to which the music belongs. I try to find these really odd topics here, the subjects. Epizetology, so here's a little sort of lecture of what this might be if you were to study that. It's the science dealing with the character, ecology, and the causes of disease in animals. So all these different topics and subjects that people can study in these big names. And as we think about who Jesus was and is and his life here on earth. 
one of the things that he was in his ministry was teacher. And as teacher, he taught among, about many different topics. He wanted people to learn about faith, about money, about family, prayer, marriage, divorce, death, life, love, loving others, sacrificial living, God's judgment, and so on. His favorite subject, or maybe it's better to be say it this way, the most important subject that he taught about was the kingdom of God. In fact, one could say that is the umbrella subject that all the other subjects that he taught about was under, was the kingdom of God. So while it is an umbrella topic, it is also a topic in and of itself. And this is what we're going to dive into a little bit here this morning. We can think about the kingdom of God in the same way that we can think of in human history about any other kingdom. To have a kingdom means to have a ruler um, over a land or a territory. So the Roman kingdom is defined where Rome ruled. The Persian kingdom is when Persia ruled. The British kingdom is when Britain ruled over a land or a territory. When it comes to kingdoms, though, it's more than who is ruling. So the, the United States, we don't use the kingdom language. We don't have that for us in our country. So kingdoms is also defined by having a king or a queen that is the head. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, it means that God is that head ruler. God's plan for his people is not a democracy or a representative republic. God's plan for his people is a theocracy, that is, a God-ruled kingdom. God does not want people to elect another person into power to follow that person. God wants his people to follow him, to say to God, God, you are my ruler, and I am going to do what you say. God, you have all the power in my life and all parts of my life. May your will be done as it is in heaven. May your will be done here on earth. This is God's plan for his people. And this is what God's going to institute when he comes again. The kingdom of God, which is also known as the kingdom of heaven, we see that in Matthew, um, is the redeeming activity of Jesus Christ in the world. So the Old Testament spoke of a time when this kingdom was coming. John the Baptist prepares the way, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus uses the same language as he taught to preach as he preached to the crowds. Jesus performed miracles and healed many as a way of not only talking about the kingdom of God, but then he was living it out to demonstrate the power, to show that the kingdom of God is indeed in their midst. And as we learn, the kingdom of God is yet to come. So Jesus was instituting it. It's here on some level, but it is yet to come fully, to fully realize for God's complete and total rule. And so we wait. We wait for that day as the church of God. The reason why the kingdom of God language is, we can also see the kingdom of heaven, which is in heaven. They're interchangeable. It means the same thing. Matthew does it intentionally because his audience that he is writing to is Jews. And so at that time, and even now on some level, the Jewish people um, did not use the word God. It, they felt it was too holy. <laughs> and so they would use other words. So in order to not offend the Jewish people, 
he would say the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God, but it means the same thing. One way that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God is to use comparisons and analogies. The kingdom of God is like, Jesus would say, and then he would fill in the blank. Uh, So this morning, again, we're going to look at this. It's not going to be a comprehensive study because there's way, way, way too many verses about the kingdom of God to look at them all in the time that we have. Just in Matthew 13, just in that one chapter, there are eight different references that Jesus makes to the kingdom of heaven. And I want to look at two of them with you right now. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That's Matthew 13, 31. And the kingdom of heaven is like yeast and dough. And here's what I want, here's what I think Jesus wants us to know. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, will spread. It will grow. But more than that, it's that it cannot be stopped. It's powerful, and it changes the environment that surrounds it. While at the start, it may seem insignificant and small, if you just look at that mustard seed, it is so small. Yeast, when you put it in dough, you you can't even really see it. But over time, it expands. Usually when a person plants a small seed, they expect a small plant, something that is flimsy and weak. But this is not the case with the mustard seed. The mustard seed grows into a bush or tree, one where birds can find shelter. And yeast, what can yeast do? Well, it expands the dough where it grows and grows and grows. Jesus and his little band of 12 followers is a pretty small start. When one betrays him, the 12 become 11 and and they get even smaller. When Jesus is crucified, it looks like whatever Jesus was trying to do, it's over. The Pharisees thought, he's done. The leader is dead. It's over. But what Jesus taught in regards to the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed and yeast, we can see over the last 2,000 years, it becomes a reality. And it doesn't really even take 2,000 years for this truth to come evident. By the time um, the apostle Paul enters the scene, by the time his life in ministry is done, we see the kingdom of God growing and growing and growing. It had gone from the Jewish people who lived in the area around the Sea of Galilee to the Gentile people living in major cities spanning across the Mediterranean Sea. It had already become a force that could not be stopped just 10, 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus' life. This is encouraging and hopeful news for small churches, for any churches, but I think it's really encouraging and hopeful news for small churches. It is common for us to think, for society, for church culture to think, big church means big impact. Only ministries with lots of people are effective for God, right? Wrong. Wrong. Big impact comes whenever people engage in the kingdom of God work no matter the size of the group. While I'm not fully aware of the history of Bethel Covenant Church, but if you are like any other church, your size in the history probably started small. In fact, it's you know, to be mission, the mission entities when they first started 100 years ago was probably small. Then it grew, 
And then as churches and organizations do, maybe shrank again, and then maybe grew again, and shrank again, and it's always fluctuating. Some people might think, we are a big church, and others may be a part of your church and say, I can't believe how small we are. The past two and a half years have been really hard on almost every single church, with small churches really feeling the effect of, for a time there, of the no-gathering rules. And it can be difficult for churches to carry on the ministry without pastoral staff. You're entering an interesting time in your history. Thank goodness for Pastor Dan and the unique ministry that he had, and what a blessing you were able to probably give him last week to send him off. Dan, by the way, was at Salem Road Covenant Church when I was there six years ago, and he served at Little Falls Covenant Church where I was, and he was at my mom's church at Lakeview Covenant Church in Duluth. So pretty interesting for God to call him into a church in the Twin Cities and not be this interim pastor anymore. He's well known in our district, in our conference, so we thank God for him. But here you are, you're we're like, there's a priesthood of believers, and you're going to fill the pulpit with people among you in the community, and it's a privilege for me to be here today. But it can be a struggle. <laughs> How long is this going to last? So as you think about your church here, trying to plan for the future, it's impossible to accurately know what the future holds. Will we be big? Will we be small? How many of us will there be? What I do know is that the kingdom of God work that you do holding your worship services on Sunday morning, teaching kids during children's church, your fusion youth ministry, the Double K Cafe, supporting Teen Challenge, helping with Ruby's Pantry. When you live out your vision statement to respond in love no matter what happens or what has happened to the people and places God has put in your path, all of these things, just to name a few, and more that you do is like yeast in a dough. That's what it's like. The impact that kingdom work does is going to spread and spread and spread. Small churches have big impact when they are engaged in kingdom of God work. Unique to the kingdom of God is that not everyone is automatically in, unlike earthly kingdoms. When there is an earthly kingdom, you are part of that kingdom by virtue of being alive in that land. So if you lived in Sweden, you are in Sweden's kingdom. If you lived in France, you are in France's kingdom. If you lived in Denmark, you are in Denmark's kingdom. Now, you may not profess loyalty or allegiance to those kingdoms, but that doesn't matter. You're in the land, you're in the kingdom. When it comes to the kingdom of God, professing allegiance does matter. The term we use is repent. We are to repent of living a self-ruled life or a life following other gods, and we are to accept Jesus as Savior for the forgiveness of sins, allowing God to wash us clean. Jesus goes even further to explain who does and does not get in, because it's not automatic. number of very powerful verses. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Mark 10, 14, and 15. Jesus said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Later on in Mark 10, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is tough stuff. Jesus' teachings. He teaches. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting to think about this. Because the demons, they know who Jesus is. They say, Lord, Lord. They say, Jesus, you're the Son of God. Here's a story. Matthew 8, 29. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? So acknowledgement of, of who Jesus is isn't, isn't enough. It isn't enough. We must receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Otherwise, we will never enter it. Jesus' teaching was really tough and confusing for people as they hear it, as he took what was accepted understanding of God and how God interacts with humans. He then just sort of flips it upside down. And he does this with his own teachings. So while he's saying not everyone will enter it, he also kind of expands that thinking and teaching and says um, it is for everyone at the same time. So Matthew 13, 47. While Jesus is teaching, again, that not everyone is going to get into the kingdom of heaven, he also teaches that the kingdom of God is available to everyone. Here's what that verse says. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And then later in Matthew 8, 8, 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the kingdom of heaven. So many will come from the east and the west. The kingdom of God is like a net that caught all kinds of fish. You think about this. Think about this analogy. The net didn't just catch the rich fish. The net didn't just catch certain species of fish. The net didn't catch a certain gender of fish. The net didn't catch a certain age of fish. It caught all kinds of fish. The kingdom of God is open to any and all kinds of people. God does not discriminate based on ethnicity or gender or age or socioeconomic status. This is the good news for us to share, and this is the good news that people need to hear. I am accepted by God for who I am as a child of God. You can enter the kingdom as you accept and put your faith in there, but not everyone will enter the kingdom. It's for everyone, but not everyone will get in. Jesus teaches us the value of the kingdom of God, again, using analogies. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. That was Matthew 13, 44. In verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Fine pearls, treasure hidden in a field. 
this is what the kingdom of God is compared to. Jesus could have said the kingdom of God is like a penny. When a man saw it on a sidewalk, he ignored it because it was just a penny. <laughs> do you pick up a penny? Many of you probably do. Many of you probably don't. <laughs> How about a nickel or a dime or a dollar or $10? What would you stop and pick up? What would you stop your car for and pick up? What is of value to you? What's the amount? $100. When it comes to this analogy, Jesus is asking, what is worth your time, effort, and energy? What would you do to get a hidden treasure in a field? If I were to use a modern-day analogy, I would say that the kingdom of God is like investing in the company Apple the first year it went public. It has tremendous value. It is the highest-valued company in our U.S. stock market. And if you invested in the first year, unbelievable amount of wealth. That is the modern-day comparison. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. If something was important to Jesus, then that something is important to followers of Jesus, whether it be whole churches or whole family units or individuals who follow Jesus. The kingdom of God is important to us because it was important to Jesus. In fact, this is our identity as a church. This is our identity as the Evangelical Covenant Church, and it is your identity as the local faith community known as Bethel Covenant Church. Our identity is to be a people who live in such a way that others experience the kingdom of God when they interact with us, who expand the kingdom of God in the, in the way that we live, and who explain the kingdom of God when we're telling others about our faith and what it means to follow Jesus as our Savior. And it's easy for churches to lose their identity. I can't help but wonder how many churches have lost this identity as we enter into the fall of 2022. I want you to reflect with me on what any church or many covenant churches could be known for. Depending what, on what people focus on, some people could say, oh, that is the conservative church. Or others may say, no, that is the liberal evangelical church. Churches could be known as the Republican church. No, that is the Democrat church. Over the last few years, maybe a church was known as the pro-masking church. No, that is the anti-masking church. Or that is the anti-vaccine church. No, that is the pro-vaccine church. Or maybe someone says, you know, I've never even heard of that church. Where are they again? Better to have never been heard of than to be known for some of these labels that I listed out. All of the labels, by the way, do not give us the identity that we want or need. And the question is, do we want to be known? And if so, what do we want to be known for? Do you want to be known? And if yes, then what do you want to be known for? The covenant has all sorts of positions on a wide variety of topics, with individuals following somewhere on the theological spectrum. 
So for instance, the covenant teaches that women can and should be in leadership positions. They can and should be elders, but is this the position for any church to find its identity? Another topic is baptism. Will the church practice infant baptism or believer baptism or no baptism? All are followed in different Christian traditions. How about the end times? A thousand years? No a thousand years. Pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, no tribulation. A current hot topic is human sexuality and with that gender identity. What is God's view of marriage? Some read the Bible as saying same-sex marriage is okay with God. The covenant says, no, that is an incorrect interpretation. The Bible is clear. Marriage is between male and female. Which brings us to what does it mean to be male and to be female? A growing trend is for the individual to decide and not for God. The church's stance on these topics is going to be what some people see as the church's identity. But this is not the identity that we want or need. All of these topics and so many more can both bring a group of people together and at the same time have the power to split Christ's followers apart. Whenever we come in contact with others who think and act different than us, it is an opportunity that God is giving us for the kingdom of God to shine through. Whenever we interact with someone who thinks or acts differently than us, it is an opportunity that God has given us to have the kingdom of God shine through. The kingdom of God is more than loving our neighbors. It is more than loving those who we get along with. When God rules in our lives, we have the power to love our enemies. Wherever love is, God is present as well, for God is love. The greatest miracle I think Jesus performed was when he reattached the ear of the soldier that came to take him away when he, to be tortured and crucified. At a moment when adrenaline is high, when someone was out to get him, out to hurt him, Jesus brought healing to that other person, once again showing us what our relationships are supposed to be like. Even if someone is out to hurt you, we must be set out to heal them. Certainly, there's boundaries in relationships, and there's some people that aren't safe, and you shouldn't be with them. But in general, when someone is out to hurt you, as followers of God, we need to be set out to heal them. And there's really, then, only one identity that matters as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are kingdom people. When it is all said and done, the legacy this church is to leave behind, the legacy your life is to leave behind, is that it has lived out and expanded the kingdom of God. We are a kingdom people. So as you continue on in ministry over the next five months of 2022, there are many things that you can measure to assess your success. However, I think there's really, really only one metric that matters. Did you expand the kingdom of God? The church doesn't exist to own a building. It doesn't exist to own land. It doesn't exist to have or able to afford staff. These are not the metrics that matter. They really don't. They don't matter. They tell us something and can help us with our identity as kingdom of people. They're important, but the kingdom of God work really is the only area worth measuring. Do you want to be known? And if so, what do you want to be known for? 
May you, may we embrace our God-given identity as a church, as families, as individuals, which is kingdom people. We are kingdom people. May God empower you to live out that identity this week. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, for your word, for how it speaks to our lives, reminding us, teaching us, guiding us, once again, what is important. So as we think about living our life for you, may we be aware of how to live out your kingdom. Empower us by your spirit, I pray in your name. Amen. So Jesus came to institute this. If you need communion, I would say, come on up right now. Or someone maybe can come serve you. Yeah. All of that Old Testament, the Jewish laws, was pointing to the time where Jesus would fulfill fulfill all of the law in this act perfectly. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took that bread, he'd given thanks, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after dinner and he blessed it. He's saying, this cup is the new covenant, shedding the blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me, for as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare that the Lord comes again. So, Heavenly Father, on this morning, at this time, we ask your blessing upon these elements, that as we take them, that we would be able to sense you. Lord, bring to mind anything in our hearts and our minds that we need to ask and give up to you, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that you may wash us clean. We thank you for your grace and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The body of God broken for you. Take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Dear Lord, you are love. You are love. We thank you for your love, for your son Jesus, for his willingness to go to the cross, to take on our sins, that perfect human who knew no sin, to take it on so that we may be free from sin. Lord, help us to experience that freedom, to live in freedom, and to love others well. We pray in your name. Amen. Please stand with us as you're able this morning as we sing our, uh, our song of response today.